This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. Starting right off with a frog in the throat. <laughs> welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios. High atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 14th day of November, 2023. And it is so good to have you with us this morning. Um... Hope your uh, Tuesday is going well. Hope you got through Monday just fine, and we're sliding into the week. Um, we all we all have busy lives, um, even those of us who are who are retired. <laughs> so I understand if uh, if you're if you're busy. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes of your day to be with us here on Squirrel Chatter. It's good to have you. Squirrel Chatter is a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Oh, I don't know where that frog came from. <laughs> don't live anywhere near a swamp. And it's just the fact that usually this is the first talking I do during the day other than a, a good morning to Mrs. Squirrel. Um, but uh, as soon as I started talking, it was like, oh, man, make that go away. We don't need that. So what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. And then we have our study Bible level Bible study resuming. We're starting Deuteronomy chapter 17 today as we continue to work our way through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, of course, the Old Testament book that was quoted after the Psalms, quoted most often by Jesus, and in the Old in the New Testament. The book of Deuteronomy is the third most quoted Old Testament book. So if you're thinking about a book that you probably ought to be familiar with as a New Testament Christian, you know, Psalms would be at the top, <laughs> then Deuteronomy. Um, the, the second most quoted book in the New Testament is Isaiah. So consider that when you plan your Old Testament studies. And contrary to Andy Stanley's words, you should not uncouple from the Old Testament. It's important you should be there paying attention to all of that. All right, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. 
Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our reading, daily readings in the life of Christ. Today's devotional is entitled, What About Public Prayer? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have, they have their reward in full. Matthew 6, 5b. Dr. MacArthur writes, In Jesus' time, the synagogues were like, the likeliest and most appropriate places for sincere public praying. Devout Jews also offered many prayers on street corners, if that's where they were at the appointed hour of prayer. But the word Jesus uses here indicates a major street, and therefore a major street corner, where a bigger crowd would likely be. By inference, the hypocrites were at fault for wanting to pray before the biggest possible audience. No location is intrinsically forbidden as a place of prayer, but it's not right to consistently choose such a spot just to attract the largest audiences. As with anything tainted by human ambition and pride, the sin of praying in the wrong place begins in the heart. Like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable, Luke 18.11, the hypocrites he mentions here prayed primarily to themselves and before others, not to God, and who he wants no part in that. Some Christians have thought Jesus' warning here rules out all forms of public prayer, but to do so was not our Lord's intention. He prayed many times with his apostles, see Luke 11.1, 1, and in the midst of much larger crowds, see Matthew 14.19. The early church rejoiced and lifted their voices to God with one accord, Acts 4.24. After the Jewish leaders released Peter and John, public praying also is available to us, whether in church, Sunday school, or any similar meeting of fellow believers. Ask yourself, what reward do those who perform their religious practices for show actually receive? And why isn't this enough to really satisfy, even when it's paid in full? Good word this morning about pride and the desire to uh, impress others with your piety and your religiosity. And it is a, it is a, a real, um, it's a real issue in a lot of places. Hang on, just, there seems to be a really weird lag on my camera, and, and I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still having camera issues. This is the, the Logitech Brio 4K webcam that I'm using right now, um, and I don't remember seeing this stutter earlier, you know, yesterday or last week when I switched to this webcam. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. All right, let's now have our prayer for the reading of the Word, which is the colic for the second Sunday in Advent, and Advent is coming up quickly. Um, Pastor Scott asked me on Sunday, if I would be willing to bring the message at uh, Frenchtown Community Church for the first first Sunday of Advent. So I'm starting to prepare that. I've also got, uh, this Sunday in fact, I'm preaching at uh, Blackfoot Community Bible Church in Ovando, as I do every third Sunday, and uh, starting Ephesians this week, finally. Um, it was going to start last month, but then the... Uh, Terrorist attacks occurred in Israel, and I had—I just felt a strong desire to address that, so I did. But uh, I'm finally getting around to starting Ephesians. 
um, this Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, great book. It's going to be a great study. Um, I led a small group study through Ephesians last year, and in doing that, I really wanted to preach it. And so I said, oh, why not? I'm going to preach through it. So that's starting this Sunday at Blackfoot Community Bible Church in Ovando, Montana. If you're in the area, I'd love to have you come out. Um, if you're not in the area and you want to travel halfway across the country just to see me preach in person, you're welcome to do that too, but I don't expect it. Um, I don't attract big crowds. <laughs> oh, all right. Our prayer for the reading of the Word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm going to start with the first seven verses. Um, I've got notes through verse 14, but I'm imagining we're going to do 8 through 14 tomorrow. Um, but let's start with, uh, I'll just read the first seven verses of chapter 17. Once again, I am reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, you can go to read.lsbible.org if you want to read it online. It is also a featured Bible in the Literal Word app, which is my favorite phone, tablet, Bible app. Um, I said, I'm a, I'm a huge Accordance user, and I've got, you know, I use Accordance both on my iPad and my phone and on my computer. But for just reading the Bible and just ease of use and, and features and everything, and the fact that it's absolutely free, the Literal Word app is my favorite. That's that's the one. If 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 I pull out my phone to look up a Bible verse, it's the lit literal word app that I open. And the literal word app has re used to be just the New American Standard 95, um, but it's been recently updated. So now it has still the New American Standard 95, but they have added the King James, the ESV and the Legacy Standard Bible. So you get, they've also added some, some fantastic Greek tools and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it's still a, a very streamlined, easy to use app for Bible reading. And so I would encourage you, if you use your phone or tablet at any point as your Bible, um, you know, I definitely encourage you to have a paper Bible and use a paper Bible primarily. Um, I think it's just, you know, sitting in church with a with a paper Bible on your lap, I think is helpful. Um, I think that's a, a better way to do it than than using an iPad or a or a phone or something. But at the same time, you know, you're out and about on the streets, you're you're going through your daily life and you want to look something up in your Bible, you may not have your Bible with you. And so having you know, a, a good Bible app on your phone um, can be helpful. And the, the Literal Word app is the one that I recommend. It is a free app. I get a percentage of every sale. Work that out. <laughs> now, I love those guys over there, and, and I'm glad that they've finally updated it to the uh, 
to the Legacy Standard Bible. That was that was the plan. Then COVID hit, and everything kind of got discombobulated with them because it's a it's a volunteer effort. They uh, the guys who developed the app they're not uh, you know obviously it's a free app they're giving it away they're not doing this for money and so um, this was a, a volunteer effort that they were doing in their spare time and their lives got busy so it actually got put off for about a year um, but we have it now and that's just a joy to behold and like I said it's it's one that I use constantly um, as I used it I used it in church. Um, we had our uh, our display screens died at church this Sunday, and uh, so we actually had to sing from the hymnal, which I loved, and uh, so that was fun. But uh, one of the things that that was interesting is we always we read a Bible verse together as a congregation. And it's normally just projected up on the screen, and everybody just reads it off the screen. But when the screens weren't working, we had to look up the the Bible verse. Now, it was printed in the bulletin, but my bulletin was already tucked under my Bible case on the on the pew next to me. So I needed to, to look up the verse, and, and we always, uh, Pastor Scott preaches from the ESV, and the ESV was the... It is the verse we use is always from. So I whipped out my Bible, fired up the literal word, switched over to the ESV from the LSB, and had it right there in just a just a few seconds. It, it's fast, it's easy to use, and and so I, I highly recommend it. All right, and as I said, they 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 it's a free free app, and I get a portion of every sale. <laughs> Somebody's going to take that. He makes money on this. It's like, no, 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 figure it out. What's a percentage of zero? Yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody. Somebody tell Julie Royce that I get a cut of every every uh, sale of literal word. See how she likes that. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm kind of feeling silly this morning. I, I got a good night's sleep last night. I'm I'm wide awake, feeling spunky. I'm on my third or fourth cup of coffee. Just having a good morning. Been up for, oh gosh, I'd been up for an hour and a half before we started the podcast. So I'm just I'm just awake and alert and and having a good day. Slept well. Um, had a great class last night. I'm I'm auditing um, Reformation in Early Modern Church, taught by Dr. Owen Strand at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, and I'm auditing that on Monday nights. And uh, you know, normally. Normally, Dr. Strand is very dapperly dressed in, in tie and jacket. Um, but last night, he, he walked into class a few minutes late in blue jeans and a hoodie um, and explained to us that he had just come from coaching his son's basketball team, um, a 12 and under league, which is, of course, as we know, very serious. And uh, he has been... Uh, the assistant coach of that team, and he just loves loves doing that. But he did. He said, you know, he wanted to go home and change, and he just didn't have time. And so he showed up in hoodie and jeans, and we had a great class um, talking about the Scottish Reformation, talking about John Knox, and a lot of things on in in Scotland, talking about the Covenanters and and all of that. It was good, good, good class. I'm I'm enjoying that, as most of you know. 
history was my major in college, and it is my single most favorite subject, I imagine, is history. And so church history, you know, with history and theology, church history just hits all my bells and whistles. So I enjoy a good good church history class. And uh, and and you, you know that passion if you've been following my annual appearances on um, Echo Zoe Radio, because we started, my first appearance was all about the early English Reformation. And then we talked about uh, Anglicanism under the Reformation under uh, Queen Elizabeth. We've talked about uh, a couple of, you know, King James. We talked uh, the gunpowder plot last year. And then just last month, we talked about the King James and the witch hunt and all of that. And uh, next fall, we are planning on digging into the English Civil War. So that'll be a fun episode. Um, we're, we're reaching kind of the end. We cover the English Civil War, and then we cover like the Scottish Covenanters, um, which I think is probably going to be in the same episode. And then when we cover the Glorious Revolution, that will pretty much end the, the English uh, Reformation stuff that, uh, that I have intended to do with, with Andy on Echoes. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I will talk to him about that, and we'll we'll make sure we're we're planned up and everything's looking forward to that. All right, let us now. Now that I've babbled on for ten minutes, I will read Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, verses one through seven. You shall not sacrifice to Yahweh your God an ox or a sheep which has a defect or any blemish, for that is an abominable thing to Yahweh your God. If there is found in your midst in any of your ga- any of your gates of the towns which Yahweh your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of Yahweh your God by trespassing against his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the heavenly host which I have not commanded, and if it is told to you and you have heard of it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. Behold, If it is true, and the matter is confirmed that this abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done this evil deed in your gates. You shall bring them out to your gates, that is, the man or woman, and you shall stone them, and they will die. On the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the mouth of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So again, we we started back in in, uh, the end of chapter 16, verse 21. We started this look at false worship in Israel and this condemnation of false worship in Israel. And so we're seeing that here, and it is um, clearly prohibited by God, and in fact is a capital crime in Israel. To worship anyone other than God is like I said, a capital crime. This is deserving of death. Now, chapter 17 begins with the proper worship of the Israelites, and he says, you shall not sacrifice to Yahweh your God an ox or a sheep which has any defect or any blemish, for that is an abominable thing to Yahweh your God. 
bringing a defective sacrifice to God was forbidden. And the reason was to offer anything less than your best to God is to despise his name. It's it's an offense. You're not taking God seriously. The first chapter of Malachi, flip over there, Ezekiel, Matthew went too far, flip back to Malachi. This is one of the things about a paper book is it does take time to actually get where you're going if you don't mark the pages. And even if you do, it takes a second. Let me read verses 6 through 8 of Malachi 1 if I can get these pages to stop sticking. I need the page between these. There we go. Malachi 1 verses 6 through 8. A son honors his father and a slave his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is the fear of me? says Yahweh of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of Yahweh is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is that not evil? Please bring it near to your governor. Would he accept you? Or would he lift up your face, says Yahweh of hosts. So the the thing that God said through Malachi, he's pointing out, you know, if you had, you know, the governor or, or even the mayor, somebody of importance was coming to your table, you wouldn't offer them defective food. You'd offer them your best. You'd put on your best face. Um, you know, I was laughing yesterday about, you know, uh, the cleaning up of San Francisco, that they could have done that, you know, for months, but now they're doing it for the visit of the President of the United States and Xi Jinping, getting all the homeless out of downtown and out of the areas where the these world leaders are going to be. And, and it is despicable. But at the same time, even if your city did not have this homeless population that you had to clean up, you'd probably take some effort to clean it up, you know, in general, because you had these world leaders coming to your town. Um, whatever cities next year are having or hosting the Republican and Democrat National Convention prior to the, the presidential election, um, you know, where the nominees are formally named, I don't know, uh, I, I haven't, I don't know what cities they're going to be. But the area of town where all these delegates are going to be is going to be a little bit spiffier than it is on any given Wednesday afternoon. They're going to take a little bit of special effort, just like, you know, you're going to run the vacuum cleaner an extra time if you're having the mayor over for dinner. Yet, these people were not taking care with their sacrifices to God. Indeed, they were offering defective sacrifices to God, defective animals. And that, that was an issue. So this is something that, that Moses says, don't do that. Don't sacrifice to Yahweh your God an ox or a sheep which has any defect or any blemish, for that's an abominable thing to your God. It's not an acceptable sacrifice to gift God your dregs or your leftovers. God deserves your very best. That's why you, you you give to God before 
that's the first thing you do. You 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 don't give to God last and what's left over. You give to God the best you have. You don't give to God, you know, well that that lamb's going to die anyway. It's a sickly little thing. Might as well sacrifice it. That's that's considered that's disrespectful. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that to your to your uh, governor. Don't do that to God. And that's what Moses is saying here. Then in verse 2, he switches and starts looking about um, sacrificing an animal with a blemish, um, or or starts looking at uh, false worship, worshiping other gods. And so if you remember back in chapter 16, they were told to appoint judges in all of their towns um, to govern the towns. And remember, we talked about the fact that that the judges of the town were both, you know, their their role was both administrative and judicial, that they were to, you know, they were the leaders of the town. They weren't just deciding criminal cases. Um, and that they, they sat in the gate and they governed the town. Um, and they were to govern the town according to the law of Moses. Well, part of that law is don't worship other gods. And that was something that was suffering under a death penalty. So here he says, if there's anyone found in your midst, in any of your gates of the towns, which Yahweh your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of Yahweh your God by trespassing against his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun or the moon or any of the heavenly host which I have not commanded. So the the question is, is somebody worshiping someone other than God? Someone in Israel worshiping a false god or the sun or the moon or the stars or, you know, whatever someone could be worshiping other than God. says, if you hear about it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. This should be our attitude when we hear anything negative about somebody, find out if it's true. Um, way too often we hear something and, you know, especially if it's somebody we don't like, <laughs> hear something about somebody you don't like, you're inclined to believe it. And I feel under the mouse. Um, you know, we're inclined to believe bad things about someone we don't like. And, and, but the, here's the whole thing is like, you know, inquire thoroughly. Is it true? Seek out confirmation. Now, there was a very strict Old Testament rule about convictions, especially in death penalty cases, but it actually applies to, to all levels of justice, that a matter had to be proven on the basis of two or three witnesses. One witness was insufficient to condemn somebody. The, the premise was that you would err on the side of not convicting someone then you would err on the the side of conviction. Um, this is something that, that has bothered me. I've sat on several juries, and the jury instruction always given to the jurors is one witness is sufficient to establish the facts of a case if the jury believes that witness. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And, in fact, the last time I was at uh, uh, called for jury duty and got had to go to the courthouse and sit through jury selection. I was sitting in the gallery. Um, I never got charged. They picked a jury, and then I got dismissed before that. 
but that was one of the things that that brought up one of the one of the attorneys was talking about you know one witness is enough to establish a fact if the jury believes the witness and one of the people says no i thought it was two or three witnesses and she said no that's you know and and the the attorney said something and then the lady came back with no that's found in the bible um and i i wish i could remember the conversation it was interesting but you know that that's the the biblical standard is two or three witnesses not one witness and so that i i will be quite honest that is something about america's legal system that i'm not happy with <laughs> um but that's that's neither here nor there um so it says you know if if somebody's found worshiping and you inquire thoroughly and it's true and the matter is confirmed then you bring that person out to your gates of your city and that man or woman is stoned to death um this was the the method of execution and the reason this was the method of execution is not because it was painful i mean obviously it was the reason this was the method of execution was this is a method of execution that can be carried out by the community this isn't just hauling them up to a guillotine or dragging them off to an electric chair where somebody kills them this is a community putting the person to death and that's important not only is it the community is putting them to death it says the hand of the witnesses and there's the you know verse 6 is about the two or three witnesses we just talked about that but then verse 7 says the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death so the the witnesses throw the first stones um you remember in the pericope adultery in uh, the gospel of john where it says you know that, that jesus said let he who is without sin cast the first stone he was purportedly referring back to this provision that the witnesses should be the first to throw the stone now we could go on about the pericope adultery no i don't believe it's original scripture um, there's all sorts of reasons for that um, actually did a sermon on that called uh, the pericope adultery textual criticism and you <laughs> where i you know was basically a, a an explanation of of textual critical methods and and why it's important and why we know with a high degree of certainty that the pericope adultery was not original to the new testament it was added at a later date that doesn't mean it's not true but it does mean it's not inspired scripture um it was a a great story about jesus that had been circulating around for a while but when it when it appeared first in the scripture it actually appeared in two or three different places before finally settling down to the end of chapter seven first part of chapter eight um and so you know but let he who is without sin cast the first stone is kind of referencing this idea that the witnesses should be the first to throw the stone and the whole community takes part in the execution this is this is important for several reasons a it shows that this is the collective action of the community to put the person to death secondly it uh it warns people now this is not mob action okay this is not mob action this is a judicial punishment there has been uh what's the 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 phrase we use um 
due process, okay? So this is not a mob dragging somebody outside and stoning them like they did with Stephen in the New Testament. This is a the end of a judicial process where there has been an investigation. The facts have been established on the basis of two or three witnesses. The person has been convicted. Then the sentence is carried out. So don't think this is a a mob violence situation where they just drag this person out and stone them. Not the case. This is the end of a due process. But look at that last line. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. That line appears multiple times in the Pentateuch when it's talking about judicial punishment, especially the death penalty. And I think it it, it gives us two, there's two reasons. First, the criminal is put to death, so that evil is removed. The, the evil person is put to death. Secondly, the other people are deterred from doing that or a similar crime because they know the penalty. And it, it while modern sociologists don't want to de- want, want to confirm that, a lot of people don't do evil acts because they're afraid of getting caught. And just to demonstrate that, look at all the smash and grab robberies in the areas where they have decided they are not going to prosecute the, the shoplifters of less than however many dollars, I don't remember. And and where, where a lot of these places, a lot of these districts in the United States have stopped punishing crime. Crime is rising. The fear of being caught and being punished deters crime. And so publicly pub- punishing criminals, in this case, idol worshipers, deters others from taking the same or similar action. They may not believe, you know, they, they may not be faithful believing Jews in this, end, but they're not going to go worship Baal. They're not going to go set up an Asherah pole in their backyard. Now, what they do in the secret spaces of their own house, we don't know. But they're not going to publicly avow for the worship of anyone other than Yahweh because of the the fear of punishment. And that applies to, to other crimes as well. Now, big question, what do we do with false worshipers in our world? Okay, well, here's something that's that's very key. He says that uh, this is this is something. This abomination confirmed that this abomination has been done in Israel. These are laws intended for ancient Israel and the government that was established by God in ancient Israel. Now, worshiping someone other than God is every bit as evil today in Boston as it was two thousand years ago in Jerusalem, or four. This is closer to 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem. So, you know, it's not that these acts are less evil, but this isn't ancient Israel. We are not under the law of Moses as our judicial code, nor should we be. Um, this is not commanded for every nation to follow. This was a law given to Israel. And if we go back and we look at the whole um, Sinaitic covenant, remember, keep the law. You'll be blessed and prosperous in the land. Don't keep the law. You will be exiled from the land. And, you know, the opposite of prosperity, uh, poverty, impoverished and exiled. So, you know, that this, this is part of the Mosaic Covenant. 
Now, it doesn't mean there isn't moral principles here. You know, first off, you know, you got to prove the guilt of someone, innocent until proven guilty. That is implied by the two or three witnesses' rules. One witness, you know, it's just your word against his, that's not proof that the crime was committed. You need, or that this person committed the crime. You know, you can have a crime, you know, know a crime has been committed, but you're, you're arguing about who did it. And, and one witness should not be enough to establish that. Um, I think back to some, some, some recent cases um, involving some rapes or sexual assaults where, you know, now I am fully in support of the death penalty for rape. I think it's one of the most vile crimes that can be committed short of murder. Um, it's just, it's a horrible violation of a person. Um, I think, you know, stealing somebody's stuff is less of a violation than, than rape. And so I'm, I'm death on rape. I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this. And so, you know, but I've seen several cases where victims identified their attacker and the attacker was convicted on the basis of that evidence and that evidence alone. And later, DNA evidence is used to show that this person couldn't have been the attacker. That's, you know, you're, you're taking somebody who has suffered one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a person, and that affects their judgment and that affects their, you know, I'm not, I'm not accusing these people of falsely, con, you know, of, of, you know, trying to, you know, accuse the wrong person. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, the testimony of a single witness is insufficient because now these are, these were cases of, of stranger rape, obviously. I mean, if, if you've known Bob for years and Bob raped you, you know, it's Bob. That's a different situation. But you know, these were stranger rapes where they didn't know the person. And they falsely identified somebody else as the person who attacked them. And, and so there's, the facts need to be established thoroughly. Um, every line of evidence needs to be pursued. Investigations need to be thorough and complete. But then having done that, punishment needs to be meted out in accordance with the law. And I have long thought that the death penalty is underutilized in the United States. There are, you know, there's much in the Western world since World War II, really the, the modern era from the, you know, the late 1940s on, there has been a push to eliminate the death penalty and indeed to be soft on crime across the board. And it has led to a lessening of the value of human life. It has led to, you know, worse crime in many areas, and it it is a an abrogation of moral authority. And if the death penalty was, especially for murder, the, the first death penalty that we find in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 9, and it's the death penalty for murder, that those who take the life of a person, you know, you know if a man kills a man, then by man he is to be put to death. Very, you know, and, and not limited to murder, but murder especially. Yet, even in cases of murder, we very rarely see the death penalty. Um, you know, establish the facts, investigate thoroughly. If the crime has been committed 
and the facts have been established, execute them and move on. Because this purges the evil from your midst. The criminal that has been put to death will never commit another crime. And those who hear about it will, because of fear of punishment, be deterred. Not every criminal, but a lot of them. Um, I, you know, the, the ideal is people do the right thing because it's the right thing and they know it's the right thing to do. And people don't do wrong things because they know they're wrong. That's the ideal. But in reality, I, you know, not everybody's going to be like that. And so people not doing bad things because they fear being caught and being punished, that's the next best thing <laughs> in, in purging the evil from you. Um, and so, you know, having a, a strong sense of law and justice in a society is important to the society. At the same time, those who are worshiping someone other than Yahweh in our society don't need to be taken out and killed. <laughs> Um, we, we, that's, that's not in, in, in this, uh, I'm going to use the word dispensation in, in this present time. And under this present administration of God's word, our purpose is to evangelize and persuade. And, and so, you know, we're not to be hauling the people out of the nearby Buddhist temple or the nearby mosque and putting them to death because they're failing to worship the God of the Bible. That's, you know, or the atheist university professor or whatever. That's not how we are to undertake things now. One of the errors I think the Christian nationalist movement is is entering into and something to think about. All right, well, that's our, our Bible study. We'll pick up tomorrow with verse 8 and look at... Uh, a little bit more of Deuteronomy chapter 17 tomorrow. All right, let's now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that, having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries, through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. 
Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday, the 14th day of November. As Thanksgiving is a week from Thursday, and in Christmas, just a few weeks after that. Um, just amazing how fast time is going. If you got Christmas shopping yet to do, you best hurry. Um, just that that's the world we live in, right? All right, folks, have a great Tuesday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow with another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.